Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the 16th episode of If These Walls Could Talk. I'm your host and resident alcoholic, Dougie Fresh. Go grab a snack, juice, pop, or as I like to call it, the champagne of waters, Perrier. We'll get this show on the road shortly. Sit back, hang tight. If it's one thing I've been taught in life, it's that you never, ever, ever interrupt the boss. Rising by Bruce Springsteen. I would like to remind everybody that you can get these songs on Spotify, just like I found along my road to recovery that inspired me. I would like to remind everyone that wherever you are in the world, um, that I do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, and neither do any of my guests. We are simply sharing our experience, strength, and hope in the hope that it reaches the practicing and still suffering alcoholic. But if you need to talk to somebody and it's urgent, please don't hesitate to contact AA's head office wherever you are. Now, let's start the show. Did you know that in life there are five types of baggage? And that we do not need to carry this baggage with us. There's our past, negativity, guilt, expectations, and others' mistakes. Don't get me wrong. There's value in remembering what's happened because we can learn from it. But dragging it around with us doesn't serve much purpose. Like it or not, the past is over. Negativity can feel like a safety net. When we imagine what could go wrong, we feel a form of self-protection, a way to cope with bad things in life. But focusing on the negativity aspects of life will always make our situation worse. We need to make the most of our time we've been given. And as for expectations, well, they can be suffocating. We need to stop berating ourselves when we fall short. Others' mistakes don't define us. The past of others 
cannot be undone, even if we feel partly responsible. What this all means is that if we don't like ourselves, or we haven't made peace with ourselves for things we've done in the past, we will be dealing with this baggage forever. We will never get away from it. As I pondered this meaning of baggage, it got me thinking about a quote I heard recently, wherever you go, there you are. And I wondered, was this quote referring to baggage? Well, to dive a little deeper in this situation, we're going to talk to a really good friend of mine, Haley. How are you doing today, Haley? Hey, Doug. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. The, the pleasure's all mine. Um, can you tell the listening audience tonight um, around the world uh, a little bit about yourself, your experience, strength, and hope? Yes. Um, my name's Haley. I am an alcoholic, and I've lived in San Jose, California my entire life. I, um, I come from a very codependent, shame-based family dynamic. Um, I come from a family of addicts. My parents' addictions manifested in different ways. My mom is a shopaholic and gambler, and my dad is a workaholic. So at a very young age, I felt emotionally abandoned, and I was always looking for all these external things to make me feel good. And I would just surround myself around people all throughout childhood, and that carried on, even in, in chance sobriety. Um, and at age 14 was when I first tried drugs and alcohol and I was mainly just a stoner throughout high school, but I experimented with anything I could get my hands on. And, um, it was after getting out of high school when I had gotten out of a three year long relationship. And that's when I discovered how much I loved alcohol and alcohol just allowed me to I'm naturally an introvert, so alcohol allowed me to talk to people and socialize. And so I went to a lot of parties, and my drinking progressed pretty pretty quickly. I was a blackout drinker from the very start. Um, once I would touch alcohol, there was no telling what would happen. I would end up in dangerous, dangerous areas, dangerous situations, sleeping with people I didn't plan to sleep with. Um, I would get really aggressive when I would drink sometimes and it was just not fun for anyone around me, um, including myself. I know some people talk about how it could be fun and fun with problems and then just problems. For me, I would say it was just problems from the very beginning. Um, I don't like referring to my drinking as partying. I like referring to it as abusing myself because that's what I was doing. Uh, from the very beginning. And yeah, my drinking progressed. And at age 21, I got a bartending job in downtown San Jose. I, I worked at a family owned restaurant, so it was encouraged to drink on the job. And that's when my drinking went from just on the weekends to basically every day out of the week. And a year into working at that bar was when I found myself trying to switch to beer and wine or, uh, just, you know, waiting till a certain time to start drinking and none of that worked. Um, I met a guy a year into working at that bar and we were very codependent, like every relationship I was in before. And we, yeah, like he never, sorry for the background noise. He said he didn't say anything about my drinking and I liked that he said nothing about my drinking. Um, so 
one one day he got a car and he wanted to drive me to work. So he dropped me off at work one evening. He came back to pick me up later that night. It was about 10 p.m. I was I was really drunk. I was already a bottle of wine in. I just clocked out. And the last thing I remember that night was him asking me if I wanted to continue drinking at the bar next door or if I wanted to go home. And, of course, I told him I wanted to continue drinking at the bar next door. So we went to the bar next door, and I blacked out instantly. Next thing I knew, I was handcuffed to a hospital bed coming out of a blackout. Hmm. And um, I didn't – I was just really – I was coming out of a blackout. I just blew a .286, and I had no idea what had happened. And – I was handcuffed to that hospital bed for two hours, and the cops just asking me all these questions, and I'm just incriminating myself, saying things like, I drink all the time, and I black out really easily, and so they take me over to the main jail, where I was sitting in a chair, handcuffed, for about eight hours, and finally, a guy pulled me aside, and he asked me if I knew why I was in there, and I, I didn't know, I assumed I was getting charged with a DUI. Um, and I just, I told him I wasn't the one driving, even though I didn't actually remember. Mm. And he told me that I was the one driving and that my passenger had died. Mm. And so I instantly just, I had tunnel vision. I went straight to this place of denial and I thought he was joking. Um, I sat back down for another hour and he took, he took me over to, um, well, he didn't take me, but they a group of a group of cops. They took me over to Elmwood, which is a jail in Milpitas, and there I was in a single cell on suicide watch for four hours until my mom bailed me out. And at this point, I still thought the whole thing was a joke. And finally, when I saw my mom crying, was when I knew that I actually killed someone while drinking and driving. Um, I had never seen my mom cry before. Um, and that's, that's how I knew. So the next two weeks, I was just, I just wanted to be alone in my room. Um, and I didn't want to talk to anyone. And finally, I knew I needed to see a therapist. So I asked my lawyer if she had a therapist she could recommend. So I began seeing a therapist. And my first session with that therapist, she told me I was an alcoholic and that I needed to go to AA meetings. Mm. And I didn't know what an alcoholic was or what or what Alcoholics Anonymous was, and I began, but I began going to meetings. I started with the 90 meetings in 90 days, but I still didn't think I was an alcoholic even after killing someone, so I continued to drink alcohol for three months, Mm. and um, what finally happened was I tried some control drinking one night. I started with one sip of beer, and that turned into four more beers and 12 shots of tequila within an hour. And, of course, I blacked out. My friend told me the next day everything I drank, and she told me I wouldn't stop drinking. Um, And so what happened was I woke up the next morning, and I just felt this rush of guilt, shame, and desperation. And I felt right there, and then the presence of my higher power, who I feel like was with me the entire time, And I didn't grow up religious or spiritual, but right there and then I felt the presence of God. And I, that was also the moment I got honest with myself for the first time about my drinking. And I surrendered. I 
didn't want to drink anymore. I surrendered right there and then, and I started taking a serious. And so my sobriety date is March 12th of 2019. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Um, I, when I, when I got, when I started working the steps with a sponsor, I actually stopped at step six with that sponsor and I, um, wasn't ready to move forward with the steps. And so I ended up dropping a sponsor. I was dry for the next seven months and I finally got miserable enough in sobriety. Um, so I got a new sponsor and I actually started working the steps and that's, that's the same sponsor I have today. And she's taken me through the steps now, uh, one time and I'm currently on my second round of the steps and I am on step eight right now. Mm. Um, and I, I'm just finishing up the book, Drop the Rock, where it focuses on character defects and, um, the importance of step six and seven. And, it mentions in that book um, that there's no point in making an amends if we're going to hold on to those, if we still want to hold on to those same character defects. So I found myself wanting to hold on. It's like not willing to let go of some of these character defects. And um, <laughs> it's, what is the point of making an amends if we're not ready to let go, right? So I found some of those same behaviors and patterns showing up even in sobriety. Like we get sober we, we stop we stopped using drugs and alcohol, but those character defects are still there. And uh, it's just it's been so much more than just quitting drugs and alcohol for me. It's um, the self awareness I've gotten from the steps is just incredible. Um, and I want to say my my favorite step was step nine uh, because I was able to make amends to all those people I had harmed because I owed it to them. And the most difficult amends I would say that I've made is to myself. Um, I still struggle with a lot of survivor guilt. Um, I still have a lot of self-hatred and that's something I constantly need to work on, but this program is the ultimate form of self-care. And when I first got sober, I wasn't able to sit alone with myself, um, and meditate. I couldn't meditate like my first year of sobriety. And I used to hate meditation meetings because my mind would just keep going, going, going. And I have found meditation to be part of my daily practice today. I, um, just being present and like listening to my higher power, um, and talking to my higher power through prayer has just been so eye opening. And, um, man, I, yeah, I definitely would not be here without my higher power. I, um, but today, today I stay sober by just working with others. It's really that simple. My mind likes to overcomplicate things, but, um, I keep it simple. I stay in the book. I, I'm always on a step and I work with others. I walk other women through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I stay in service. I have two secretary positions, one of them being a meditation meeting. <laughs> and, um, what I love about meditation is just like, it's not about stopping our thoughts. It's about just observing them, right? And being present and um, accepting the moment for what it is. And uh, that's what it's been for me, at least. And um, I stay in action. When when I'm feeling squirrely or I'm unsure, I feel stuck, I just, I know there's something that I need to be doing, like in my program or um, even just reaching out to others. I need to constantly stay connected um, to my higher power, but also to others, because I'm able to see myself uh, through other people, and I'm able to see my higher power through other people. I stay out in nature. I go on a few hikes a week. I practice yoga daily, and um, 
Yeah, most importantly, though, I just stay connected. I watched a TED Talk once, and uh, they talked about how the opposite of addiction is connection, and I truly believe that. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to be alive today, and that's something I couldn't have said when I first came into the room. Um, definitely good to be here. I'm not sure how I'm doing on time, but, uh, yeah, thanks again, Doug, for having me. And, um, oh, I do want to mention one more thing. I've been on house arrest for, um, a year and a half now, and I'm still facing a few years in jail or prison. And I know wherever I'm finding out my sentence in a few weeks now, and I know wherever I end up, like, I'm going to be able to help the next suffering alcoholic. That is my primary purpose. It's to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Hmm. So today I live a life of purpose. I finished my, I finished all my schooling uh, last semester. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to be here and to be alive. Um, yeah. So thank you again, Doug, for having me on the show. Um, Haley, that, uh, that's a very powerful message. Um, Wow, thank you for sharing that with us. And uh yeah, I'm I'm one hundred percent sure that uh that, that that's gonna help uh, you know, uh somebody out there struggling, um, you know, listening to that story. Um, you know, so thank you for sharing that with, with the world. Um <clears throat> you know, uh you did mention a quote um to me uh a little a little while ago, wherever you go, there you are. Can you explain to the listening audience what you meant by that? Yeah, so that's actually the title of a book I was reading. Um, it's just a meditation book, but I love I love that saying because it's just so true. I I all my life I've looked for these external things, and even today, like my addiction manifests in many different ways, right? Uh, whether it's food, sex, relationships, and I constantly just need to um, apply my steps to those things as well and practice being in the moment because I know it's an inside job. I need to constantly practice self-acceptance, self-love. Um, and because wherever I go, there I am. Um, so, yeah, that's basically all I have to say about that. Hmm. Well, uh, thank thank you so much, Haley. I uh uh, again, I, I appreciate you coming on here. I'm so happy. Um, you know, I, I went on to that Zoom meeting that night and I heard you share this story and I thought to myself, um, this is somebody I need to have on the on the podcast because I need to get your message out there as much as possible because it it, it needs to reach as many people struggling the way you're you were struggling, um, you know, so they can hear this, you know, so um I want to thank you again for coming on the show tonight and um, and sharing your story with the world. And uh, I wish you nothing but successes uh, going forward. And I hope I hope and I and I will I will pray for you to my higher power. And um, you know I I hope everything works out for you in the next couple of weeks and uh, that you're able to continue doing um, what you've been doing is is helping the next suffering alcoholic. So thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. And thank you for having me, Doug. Awesome. I'll talk to you later. All right. Have, have a great night. Bye. Bye-bye. You too. Wow. That was powerful. <laughs> I keep saying every week and and week after that the, the, the stories get better and better. But, um, you know, that was so powerful. Um, <clears throat> anyways, luggage, suitcases, trunks, belongings, equipment, tackle, 
gear carry-on, handbag, kit, duffel bag, backpack, and rucksack. Or, in AA terms, resentments, hate, procrastination, self-pity, shortcomings, unmanageability, or defects of characters. I could go on and on as there are thousands of ways to say the word baggage. But, in the end, it doesn't matter how many ways to say it. If we don't deal with the baggage in our lives, nothing changes. No matter where we go, there we are. We can convince ourselves that by moving to a new city or a new place, getting a new job, or starting a new relationship will provide us the excitement we crave. But once the, new, the newness wears off, we'll find ourselves depressed again. We will start to dislike people. We will still hate work. Our relationships will still drain our en- energy and happiness. We will still binge eat or drink too much or fritter our money away. If we don't change anything about ourselves, we will just take whatever it is inside us wherever we go. Once again, I want to thank Haley for coming on the show today and joining me. Um, This is If These Walls Could Talk. If you would like to follow me on Instagram, I'm going to put my Instagram um, handle on here. It's at Doug Matthews for all small capitals. So it's D-O-U-G-M-A-T-H-E-W-S-4. And you can connect with me and, uh, and, a, and a whole whole wide range of sober um, people just like myself. I want to thank Kaylee again for coming on the show tonight. I wish all of you much success going forward in the future. And do me a favor. Get rid of the baggage. Drop it. We don't need to carry it with us anymore. We're carrying enough. The load is too heavy. Thanks again, everybody. Put a smile on your face. Better yet, put a smile on somebody else's face. But hold on a minute. Shh. The boss is singing.